this is Dr. Nick Tiller, and you're listening to the Skeptic's Guide to Sports Science podcast. What follows is an audio recording of my column, published in Skeptical Inquirer, the magazine for science and reason. For more information, visit www.skepticalinquirer.org. As with all articles in this series, a full list of references and a link to the written piece can be found in the show notes. Episode 19, Electric Muscle Stimulation. The devil is in the detail. I used to be obsessed with martial arts superstar Bruce Lee. I watched all his movies, read his books, and studied his moves quite ineffectually. Aside from his martial arts skill and philosophies, it was Lee's physique that distinguished him from other action heroes of the time. Standing 5 feet 7 inches, 172 centimetres tall, his compact muscular frame was perfectly suited to his explosive style of combat. And when Lee punched and kicked through his enemies with unmatched speed and dexterity, every muscle and sinew leapt off the screen. It was quite a statement, therefore, when Lee was pictured in Dragon, the Bruce Lee story, played by Jason Scott Lee, no relation, using an electric stimulator to train his muscles. Three minutes is like doing 200 push-ups, he said in the biopic of his life, as his pectoral muscles twitched from the electric current. At the time, I was too young to know the reach of artistic license, and I wasn't sufficiently sceptical to question the validity of the claim. Nevertheless, long before I ventured down the critical thinking rabbit hole, before science and scepticism enriched my life, I was inherently superstitious of this notion of something for nothing. But something for nothing is implicit in the marketing for electric muscle stimulators. It exploits the quick-fix fallacy, which is our tendency to look more favourably upon claims that seemingly eliminate time and effort in the pursuit of health and fitness. During EMS, the muscles are made to contract involuntarily, on the premise they can be trained without the time or effort usually associated with working out. Harnessing Lee's unwitting endorsement to sell EMS devices, as some vendors are still doing 50 years after the actor's untimely death, is an obvious appeal to authority. But for all Lee's martial arts proficiency and training knowledge, he wasn't a scientist, nor did he benefit from the science and technologies of today. More recently, one manufacturer of EMS devices has recruited a different sports superstar as their brand ambassador, Cristiano Ronaldo. Yes, him again. There's a reason he's one of the world's highest earning athletes. I've never allowed cynicism to colour my scepticism, and so we can't dismiss EMS as an ineffective fad until we've conducted an honest inquiry. EMS devices have been popular since the 1980s. The tacky infomercials I remember from my youth bear a striking resemblance to those of today, with the same premises and claims, albeit with different aesthetics. Commercially, EMS devices go at least as far back as the late 1800s, when Dr. Scott's electric corset offered, quote, 
an exhilarating health-giving current that could quickly cure in a marvellous manner nervous stability, spinal complaints, rheumatism, paralysis, liver and kidney troubles and all other diseases peculiar to women, particularly those of sedentary habits, end quote. Only in the past few decades has academic interest in EMS increased, owing to various EMS subtypes with broad clinical applications. There's nerve stimulation, a technique that constituted much of my doctoral research, which involves passing electric or magnetic currents through the spinal nerves to cause involuntary muscle contractions. During exercise, this can create a force above the normal voluntary capabilities, a supramaximal response, if you will, for example, in the assessment of muscle fatigue. Then there's functional electrical stimulation, FES, which bypasses the nerves to apply impulses directly to the muscles to stimulate movement. It's often used in injury rehabilitation and to evoke muscle contractions in people with spinal cord injury in whom the pathways connecting the central nervous system to the muscles have been damaged. There's transcutaneous electrical nerve stimulation, TENS, a therapy wherein nerves are electrically stimulated to reduce pain signals being fed back to the central nervous system in conditions like arthritis. Lastly, transcranial stimulation involves passing a small current through the skull to target brain regions that modulate depression, anxiety and other psychopathologies. All the above are legitimate fields of study with clinical indications. Here, I'm focusing exclusively on commercial devices that claim EMS can increase muscle mass, strength, tone and facilitate weight management without the need to engage in a traditional exercise paradigm. Numerous studies have explored the effects of EMS devices, but conclusions from various reviews and meta-analyses don't agree. For instance, one review published in 2019 looked at 19 studies of long-term EMS, mostly in sedentary people. By far the most widely studied group was postmenopausal women, many of whom suffered from clinically defined low muscle mass, low functional strength, obesity, and or cardiometabolic diseases. In other words, a group most in need of a therapeutic exercise intervention. In general, daily use of EMS conferred no reduction in body fat, but possible increases in leg and trunk muscle strength. Due to a lack of randomized controlled trials and a moderate to high risk of bias, the authors concluded that, quote, the existing studies lack the amount of evidence necessary to draw solid conclusions about the effectiveness of training with EMS, end quote. A second review with meta-analysis, published in 2021, included 16 relevant studies totaling 897 subjects. With a broad range of training protocols, 1 to 5 sessions per week, lasting 6 to 54 weeks, they also reported increases in muscle mass and strength, but without any effect on body fat. In disagreement with the earlier analysis, the authors thought that most studies exhibited moderate to high methodological quality. A third review from 2012 found that EMS could improve muscle strength in athletes when used alongside regular training. However, in their bias analysis, the authors revealed that nearly every study exhibited high risk of bias in at least one aspect of the study design, 
most commonly in blinding of participants or selective reporting. The devil is in the detail. Before you add an EMS device to your online shopping cart, there are, as always, some important caveats that discolour the seemingly favourable outcomes. First, around half the available studies applied EMS interventions alongside other strategies that confound the results, including advanced nutritional support, calorie-restrictive diets and adjunct protein supplementation. This makes it virtually impossible to attribute the benefits to EMS interventions alone. More importantly, nearly all studies that have assessed the effects of EMS have applied stimulations superimposed over regular exercises. In other words, subjects performed muscle contractions that were augmented with an external current. By contrast, many of the control groups against which the EMS intervention was compared performed no exercise or exercise of very low intensity. It's no wonder the intervention produced measurable outcomes and the control did not. But applying EMS during exercise is not what commercial EMS devices are advocating, nor does it fit with the underlying philosophy espoused by EMS manufacturers, such as Sixpad, who suggest that you can, quote, exercise while reading, taking care of household chores, on business trips, or even off on holidays. End quote. The very premise of EMS is that it provides a time-efficient, joint-friendly, non-loading way to exercise the muscles. Using EMS during exercise, therefore, contradicts the notion of something for nothing. Consider also that a pilot study showed that middle-aged women are the main users of EMS devices, mainly to facilitate weight loss. Yet, this is the outcome the EMS devices seem least capable of delivering. When we consider these factors together, the clear signal emerging from the data becomes considerably muted. A generous interpretation of the many studies would be that electrical muscle stimulation devices, when used during regular strength training, may augment exercise performance, potentially aiding in muscle mass and strength gains. But the data are of questionable quality, with a high risk of bias in at least one important aspect of study design. Moreover, there's no evidence that EMS is effective in the absence of exercise. The most likely beneficiaries of EMS are older, non-athletic, less resilient individuals, perhaps with comorbidities, physical limitations, and low enthusiasm and or ability to exercise. And yet, such groups may not be the most suitable candidates for EMS when considering the high stimulation frequencies necessary to evoke meaningful responses. Of course, EMS devices are not benign, and their use for specific psychopathologies were recently banned by the FDA due to, quote, unreasonable and substantial risk of illness or injury, end quote. To conclude, as rates of obesity continue to soar, so do profits from the weight loss industry. It's clear that the two entities are increasingly disconnected. With few drugs and fewer supplements approved for effectively treating obesity, marketing has shifted focus to several alternatives, one of which is EMS. But if we're ever to stand a chance of truly improving health, both at an individual and population level, we need to invest our limited resources in devices and interventions that actually work. Superficially, 
the data for EMS devices look convincing. But science is muddy. There are nuances to the data that only emerge under closer scrutiny. This is why researchers must study for many years to obtain advanced research degrees. Even then, producing and consuming science for a living is fraught with pitfalls. Oversimplifying the science, as commercial outfits tend to do, might make it more digestible and philosophically pleasing for the masses, but it's a red flag to clear interpretation, and it doesn't help us reveal objective truths in the long term. Detail matters. Nuance matters. Without these two values, there is no objectivity in science. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this article, check out my book, The Skeptic's Guide to Sports Science, Confronting Myths of the Health and Fitness Industry, published by Taylor & Francis. For more information on this and my other work, visit www.nbtiller.com. Thank you.